G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, the only national program focusing on union news, worker stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR and the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. With May Day upon us, we remember history and the future fights ahead. In a recent book I was reading, set in 1890 Singapore, a jewel in the crown of British colonialism, I was presented with the inscription at the bottom of the Dalhousie Obelisk. The Dalhousie Obelisk is a memorial obelisk in the civic district of Singapore, located on the north bank of the Singapore River in the downtown core within the central area in Singapore's business district. It was erected in 1850. Bear with me. The important bit of the inscription here goes like this. Erected to the most noble, the Marquis of Dalhousie, KT, Governor-General of British India, on which occasion he emphatically recognised the wisdom of liberating commerce from all restraints under which enlightened policy this settlement has rapidly attained its present rank among British possessions and which its future prosperity must ever be identified. During the present Federal Liberal National Government, following the example of Margaret Thatcher's Britain, the economy has been placed on the same pedestal. The economy, more important than society, not a prosperous economy supporting people and the society they build. This is no better shown than by the Federal Government's decisions around raising the pension age to 70, calling the age pension a privilege, not a right, and stranding unemployed people in the older age bracket on the cheaper New Start, now called Job Seeker Payment. The catch-22 element to the policy is the entrenched ageism within society, which makes it very difficult for older people to get work, especially work at their experience and skill level. In today's program, we hear from an event put on by Every Age Counts, a campaign calling out ageism for what it is. First, the soundtrack from a video the campaign has released, and then a word from Robert Tickner, co-chair of the Every Age Counts campaign. Ageism against older people is stereotyping, discrimination and mistreatment based solely on a person's age. It affects people in many ways and is so common and accepted, most of the time we don't even notice it. But maybe we would notice if it wasn't there. In an Australia without ageism, older people wouldn't automatically be less valued than younger people. With the same qualifications, it won't take them longer to find work and they won't feel the need to hide their age from potential employers. We will get and not get jobs based on our abilities rather than outdated stereotypes of what people our age can and can't do. Knowledge will be shared, younger to older, older to younger, for the benefit of everyone, including employers. And older workers won't be forced out because of their age. Without ageism, older people's voices will be heard and given the same respect as everyone else's. Getting older will feel like an achievement, not a failure to be hidden or fixed. Birthday cards with belittling ageist jokes will disappear. Derogatory terms for older people will be as unacceptable as derogatory terms for race and gender, even well-meaning ones that unintentionally patronise. We'll realise only some older people live in nursing homes. 
problems. Only some are hard of hearing and only some have dementia. Thinking all older people are the same will be as absurd as thinking all younger people are the same. Getting older will be a normal, natural part of life that happens to all of us if we're lucky. Being older can be one third of our life and one of the best parts of it. Without ageism, we'll live in an Australia that respects everyone and everyone's future self. A place where we can all participate at every age. Older people who are pains in the bum will be treated the same way as younger people who are pains in the bum. No one's asking for special treatment, just equal treatment. Can Australia really get rid of ageism? Yes, we can. All these organisations have already committed to it. Visit everyagecounts.org.au to find out more and pledge your support. And let's make ageism in Australia a thing of the past. I believe that the very essence of what we're trying to do with Every Age Counts is to win the hearts and minds of people and to change mindsets. And, you know, in this country, it's illegal, for example, to discriminate on the basis of age, supported by every political party and every parliament right across this wide brown land. And yet something in the order approaching 30% of Australian employers based on very large surveys appear to be discriminating against people on the basis of age by refusing to employ people over the age of 50 years is basically a policy of their organisation or company. That's a shocking statistic, but it's a real window into this need we have uh, to be able to change mindsets. Can I just give you one other really quick example of the need to do this? You know, we have um, a Royal Commission into Aged Care in this country that's got some draft recommendations before us and a preamble uh, to those recommendations by the Council Assisting. And the Council Assisting, the Royal Commission, um, as did the Royal Commission in its interim report, recognise the importance of changing mindsets about uh, older Australians. And indeed, in the uh, recommendations uh, or the commentary by the Council assisting the Royal Commission in advance of the recommendations, um, they quite wonderfully identify that the causes of systemic failure identified through the work of the Royal Commission um, and uh, include the following... Number one is attitudes to aged care and the delivery of services. And they go on to talk about the ageist and patronising views of older people in our society. They talk about the ageist beliefs um, underpinning poor communication and coordination um, in the whole aged care system. And they talk about the importance of maintaining dignity and self-determination of older people. This is just another example on top of the employment one I gave. But the problem is that there's not one recommendation in the draft recommendations of going to the Royal Commission which calls for this national campaign um, that we've been supporting um, to really change hearts and minds about ageism. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. On today's program, we are following up the issue of ageism as it affects older people, their employment and society in general. 
The session we are listening to comes from Every Age Counts campaign and we now hear from the keynote speakers, author Aston Applewhite and journalist, author, filmmaker Jane Caro. I love that Every Age Counts animation, which does a beautiful job of really explaining how ageism means treating people unfairly because of their age. It is any judgment on the basis of age, assuming that someone is too young for a task or responsibility is just as ageist as too old, although we live in a youth-obsessed society and older people bear the brunt of it for sure. Something that surprised me as I began learning about ageism was that we olders can be the most ageist of all. And that is because we've had a lifetime of being bombarded by negative messages about age and aging from childhood on. Wrinkles are ugly. Old people are incompetent. It's sad to be old. And unless we stop to challenge the underlying message that to age is to lose value as a human being, it's that basic and that ugly, it becomes part of our identity. And that's internalized ageism. And it corrupts our sense of self and our place in the world. No judgment. Everyone is ageist. Many of the beliefs we hold are unconscious, and unlearning those unconscious beliefs is hard, especially when it comes to values. But we can't challenge bias unless we're aware of it. So the first, hardest, and most uncomfortable step is to look at our own attitudes towards our own age and aging. The good news is that once you start seeing your own age bias, the ways in which you sort of participate in this, you start seeing ageism in the culture around you. And that is really liberating. And you can't get that genie back in the bottle. I'm not saying that getting older is easy. We are all worried about some aspect of it, whether getting sick, running out of money, ending up alone, getting COVID. Those fears are legitimate and real, but what never dawns on most of us is that the experience of reaching old age or middle age or even just aging past youth can be different and better or worse depending on the culture in which it takes place, which is why Every Age's anti-ageism campaign is so fantastic. An ageist culture drowns out all but the negative about aging past youth, all the evidence all around us of the countless ways in which aging enriches us. If aging is so awful, for example, how come no one actually wants to go back to their youth? Discrimination is the problem, not aging. It's not being women that makes life harder for women. It's sexism. It's not loving a man that makes life harder for gay guys. It's homophobia. And it is not the passage of time that makes getting older so much harder than it has to be. It is ageism. When labels are hard to read or there's no handrail or we can't open the damn jar, which is getting harder for me day by day, we tend to blame ourselves, our failure to age successfully or not be strong enough or limber enough, instead of blaming the ageism that makes these natural transitions shameful and the discrimination that makes these barriers acceptable. And when we dye our hair just to cover the gray or conceal our age or leave early accomplishments off our resumes, we reinforce age shame. These are really successful strategies. I completely understand why so many of us do these things. No judgment. I already saw a comment in the chat from someone saying that they have to make themselves 15 years younger to even get their foot in the door at a job interview. 
But these strategies aren't good for us because they're rooted in shame about something that shouldn't be shameful. Why should waking up a day older be a source of shame? And they give a pass to the underlying discrimination that makes the behaviors useful. And for people who face other kinds of discrimination, like lesbians, women of color, the costs are even higher. And the more clearly we see these forces around us, right, these social and economic forces at work, the easier it is to envision alternative, more positive and more accurate narratives, right? This is not happy talk. And the longer we wait, the more damage we do to ourselves and our place in the world. So I want you to think about the early messaging around COVID. Don't worry, it will only infect the old and the ill. Here's a thought experiment. What would the numbers, the unemployment rate, you know, economic indicators, the infection rate, the mortality rate, pick an pick a indicator. What would they look like if we had known from the beginning that young and healthy people were vulnerable to? Very different as the director general of the World Health Organization himself acknowledged early in the spring. That is the lethal, global, measurable impact of ageism, seeing older people and disabled people as less valuable members of society. There's been a lot of hand-wringing, as there always is around anything aging-related about the pandemic making ageism worse. The pandemic isn't making ageism worse. It is glaringly exposing the prejudice that has been around us all along, and not just age bias, but racism and ableism, prejudice against people with disabilities. It is public awareness and outrage about these prejudices and injustices that are on the rise. And that gives cultural critics like Jane Caro and me and organizations like Every Age Counts a historic opportunity to build on that awareness with all of you. And that's really exciting. Thank you. Thank you, Ashton, for that absolutely fantastic presentation. Um, you said everything that I think about this subject, really. Um, the only uh, thing that struck me as you were talking and also as I was watching the video was um, how much this mirrors um, the other fight of my life, I guess, which is the fight for um, women's rights and how similar ageism and sexism are uh, you also pointed that out and indeed that it has a lot in common particularly with ableism I mean you are absolutely right about the um, incredible lack of concern about those people who um, have a disability or in some way immune compromised as well as those who are uh, older that COVID uh, and the attitudes of many people around the COVID virus have revealed so starkly to us all, and quite shockingly as far as I was concerned. Um, I was quite astonished by some um, people who I thought were quite respectable pundits in Australia uh, commenting in ways that I found um, quite astonishing about 68-year-olds being ready to sacrifice themselves on the altar of the economy for the good of the young. Unbelievable. So my fight around sexism, uh, my fight as a feminist, informs my feelings about how ageism operates as well. And I noticed in that video very strongly a, a, a really beautiful illustration of the two kinds of um, ageism that operate in the same way as there are two kinds of sexism. There is benign ageism and there is hostile ageism. 
So benign ageism is the uh, patronising, it it always gets right up my nose when um, anyone over a certain age achieves something and everybody gushes all over them as if it's quite extraordinary that an older person or you know might be able to run a marathon or um, swim in the, particular you know, every morning in the sea or whatever like that is benign ageism because the fact that it's seen as remarkable out of the box and worth making a big fuss about reveals to me an attitude which is always revealed to me whenever anyone talks about strong women. I am apparently a strong woman. No doubt Ashton is often called a strong woman herself. The problem with that is it implies, gosh, that's unusual, most women are weak. It's the same with ageism. Wow, look what you can do. Most old people can't do stuff like that. It reveals the the surprise, even though it might be meant kindly, reveals the deficit model that we have around older people, the fact that we see them as being in inevitable decline and losing what they had. And this, there was another word that's been mentioned a couple of times, I think both by Ashton and by Robert, um, which is this word dignity. And I think the essence of dignity is um, something that I've been thinking about again in terms of feminism and sexism, which is that uh, and this this was a change of definition for me around uh, the feminism I've believed in all my life. And it came to me when I read um, Hugh Mackay's book, um, What Makes Us Tick. And in that book, he talks about the 10 uh, desires that need to be met before you can live a satisfying life. And he says they're not in any particular order except the first one, which is the desire to be taken seriously. And when I read that, I had a kind of, you know, epiphany, a light bulb moment about sexism and feminism. I realised that feminism was, in fact, the fight by half the human race to get taken seriously by the other half. And I would say that the fight against ageism is precisely the same. It is the fight, particularly by older Australians, to be taken seriously, or older people across the world, to be taken seriously by younger people. Because what starts to happen is this uh, diminishment of expectation. Um, My parents, who are 88 and 89, went on um, a trip with um, some younger friends uh, just recently, and my father was talking on the phone to me, and I said to him, did you have a lovely time? And he said, oh, yes, we did, but... um, Frida kept treating your mother like she was a 90-year-old lady and she's not 90 until next year. Which I thought was very funny and quite witty, but also I understood exactly what he meant. She was overly solicitous. She made a fuss constantly. And instead of making my mother feel safe and comfortable, it actually made her feel fragile and uh, diminished. And so I think the kindness that we sometimes demonstrate, uh, we think we're being kind, but in fact we're actually shutting the older person's ability down to just be themselves. I'm 63. I don't sit around thinking of myself as 63. I just think of myself as me and I just want to be treated like me. And if I'm lucky enough to make it to 93, I want to be treated just like me. It won't be any different to me. I mean, I'm sure there'll be 
differences when I look in the mirror and differences possibly in um, aches and pains. I'm noting, noticing a few of those. Um, but as to who I feel I am in, intrinsically, no different. I am still me and I want to be treated that way like anyone else. And I think that's what's so important about all the isms, that at bottom they're all the same. They're all fighting for the right to be taken seriously as your unique self regardless of the contents of your knickers, um, the colour of your skin, who it is you fall in love with or how long or short you've been on the planet. It's not hard. It's not complicated. For some reason, we seem to want to classify and um, put people in boxes. Perhaps it makes it easier for us to deal with them. But I do think with ageism, one of the things that does drive ageism and one of the reasons for our Western horror of um, getting older, I sometimes think about the Victorians and how their taboo was sex. You know, you couldn't talk about it, you know, you couldn't admit that it existed, you know, pregnant women had to disappear from um, genteel society, et cetera, et cetera, because everyone would look at them and, oh, immediately they'd had sex. Um, and it was sort of, you know, the taboo of all taboos. So we've turned that on its head. We don't have any of those problems anymore. And that's a really good thing. And I'm glad we've changed that. But we've replaced it with a horror and a taboo about death. Victorians were very comfortable with death. They almost fetishised death. It was very much part of their lives. It's become a lesser part of our lives because of advances in medicine, et cetera, et cetera. So we want to sort of disappear. Pretend it's never going to happen. It's a taboo. We don't want to think about it. And, of course, older people remind us that we will all get old and that as we get older, we are getting more towards the end of our life. Mm. And it is our fear and and um, taboo, really, about our own mortality, I think, that creates so much of what isn't very peculiar to the West and to this particular era, our real um, problem with wanting to warehouse, to exclude, to move aside, to be prepared to see them as disposable um, people as they get older. Thank and you. I think we should change that. And I'm so glad this campaign is doing exactly that. I've admired Ashton for such a long time uh, for being in the forefront of this fight to remind people that we're all just people. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. We are looking at ageism in Australia and how it affects older Australians and how it is being used as another way of dividing the working class. A final word on the subject from Jane Caro. Turn to Jane again and ask a question about intergenerational solidarity because I think one of the most pernicious and divisive aspects of some of the debate around ageing is this attempt to try and pit uh, one group of Australians against another based on age. Um, so, Jane, can I, can I ask you, how can we really build that solidarity? Because we've all got an interest in making sure that our whole community uh, benefits um, from, our, from our economic prosperity in this country. How do we stop this pitting of one generation against another? Yes, it's quite difficult because we're in an age where um, many politicians seem to think that um, 
dividing and conquering is a really good idea. We've seen that recently with um, what I think is a, an absolutely um, a, a outrageous piece of ageism where our government has instituted legislated uh, for uh, incentives for um, employers to hire younger people, people under 35, and even higher incentives to hire people under 29. And they refused to um, amend that legislation to make sure that older people weren't fired so that the employer could hire a younger person and get the government incentive that came with them. So this directly pits generations against one another. And that is the exact opposite of what we need to see and need to be doing. There's also a tendency, I mean, I think in a way, twas ever thus, you know, that, that generations have often been critical. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm a member of the um, baby boomer generation and I remember us uh, way back in the 60s and 70s uh, talking about the man, um, Bob Dylan's song, you know, uh, mothers and fathers throughout the land, get out of the way if you can't lend a hand, your old ways are rapidly changing. So we were just as guilty of being ageist and arrogant when we were young as some of um, you know the younger people today um, are too and we had some justification it was young men who were being sent to the Vietnam War you know and that was the catalyst for that particular sense of outrage and currently we have a situation where for some uh, older people wealth is uh, more concentrated at that end of the society the chance of home ownership for some older people and we got I got a free university education that nanosecond of a window of an opportunity thank you to Gough Whitlam um, and you know we now saddle our young people with very high debts so there's always a healthy conversation to be had about what has been done right and what has been done wrong in the past and in the present and what might we do in the future. The thing to remember, however, is just to go back to my opening remarks, we are all stumbling about in the dark, whether we're old or we're young, whatever generation we happen to be born into, trying to make our way through the circumstances in which we find ourselves. Every generation will stuff it up and get some things right, and that's fair enough. Um, I think the biggest criticism that I make about myself and my own generation, and this is a sense of failure for me, is that I don't feel that I will be passing on to my grandchildren a planet in as good a state as my grandparents passed on to me. But what I'm seeing is older people being very active in trying to uh, do things about climate change, sound the alarm, get involved and get engaged. So it isn't really about whether you're young or you're old. It's really about, you know, what side of the fence you find yourself on personally and politically. That's it from Stick Together this week. Since I started the program on a literary bent, I thought I might share a little poem that appeared gratis on Facebook recently. Here goes. Boss made a dollar, I made a dime. That was a poem from a simpler time. Now boss makes a thousand and gives us a cent while he's got employees who can't pay the rent. So when boss makes a million and the workers can't make jack, then that's when we riot and take our lives back. Hashtag working class solidarity. Happy May Day.